I hope you uh, picked up a copy of the uh, sermon notes as you were uh, coming in. I actually uh, began this sermon last Sunday. I only got through the first point. And to be very honest with you, I don't know that I'll have time to finish it today. Uh, probably will take uh, one more week. Uh, but for the sake of our guests, let me just give a very brief review. I've been in a series entitled uh, The Life-Giving Power of God's Word. And uh, just a very short mini-series. In the first message, we saw the fact that God's Word is living and active. These are just not ordinary words. Jesus said they are life, they are spirit. That the Word of God has the power in and of itself to affect God's will in our lives. And in that first message, we saw the four things that God intends to uh, impact our lives with through His Word. Remember, we saw to purify our souls, uh, to make us more like Jesus Christ in terms of our character and conduct. Not only to purify our souls, but to perfect our love, our love for Him and our love for one another. A third, to perpetuate eternal life. And when we say eternal life, we're not, just not talking about living forever but a God quality of life, that abundant life that He came to give, and that His Word also is intended to bring about or to produce a spiritual growth in our lives. But then we acknowledge the fact that, sadly, for many, that does not happen. And if the Word of God has the power in and of itself, well, then what's the problem? And that took us to that second message on the parable of the sower. And uh, again, don't have time to go into any great review. You can hear any of these messages on our church website. But we looked at several of the issues that hinder the Word of God from taking root in our hearts and producing the God-intended uh, result. And then last Sunday, we entered this message, uh, how to be transformed uh, by the Bible. Our focal, focal passage being James chapter 1, uh, verses 19 through 27. And uh, last week we just looked at that first point, which is I must prepare my heart to receive God's Word. Take your Bibles, turn to James chapter 1. Again, we're still in the review. And let me just touch on this first point that we covered last week. James chapter 1, uh, verses 19 through 21. They read this, you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Now, last week I raised a question, and the question was this How can you have exactly the same seeds that are planted in two different fields and yet have two different results. In one field, a great harvest of fruit. In the other field, little, if any, fruit at all. And we answered that question by saying what? One field was prepared and the other was not. One field was tilled and fertilized and weeded uh, and was made ready for the planting. And from that, we ask the question, well, how is it that you can have two people sitting in the same worship service or Bible study, they can hear the identical same message, 
one of those individuals experience growth. One of those individuals be greatly impacted and be transformed. And the other person leaves saying, I didn't get anything out of that. And we said, the answer is obvious. One of those individuals prepared their hearts to receive God's word, and the other did not. And the application to our lives is very significant. Before the seed of God's word can take root in your heart, before it can sprout and grow and produce the fruit that God intends, there's something you must do. We must cooperate with God in this process and prepare our hearts for the word of God. And in these verses in James that we looked at last Sunday, James 19 through 21 here in chapter 1, he tells us five things we must do before we're even ready uh, to get into God's Word, to study it, to listen to a message. And let me just quickly review these in case you weren't here and you can get them down in your notes. Number one, what? I have to open my ears. He says, everyone must be quick to hear. And again, I don't have time to go into a depth review, but the application is I'm responsible when I come to God's Word to zone out other distractions and give God the reverence that is due Him to be able to give my undivided attention to the instruction of His Word. And that's my responsibility. And this is not always easy because we come to the Word of God uh, out of life struggles and adversities. Yet God wants us, again, out of reverence, out of our love for Him, to shut out all of those distractions so that we can focus on what He has to say to us. Right along those lines, the second thing is I have to shut my mouth. He says, be slow to speak. Uh, You cannot listen carefully while you are talking. We all realize this. Every teacher realizes this in the classroom. And I believe this also includes talking to yourself. In other words, daydreaming, letting your mind drift. In other words, we're right back to the fact that spiritual growth is a reciprocal process. Yes, God is the power at work in us. Yes, God's Word has the power to accomplish His purposes. There's no problem with the seed. If there's a problem, it's on my part. And I have not prepared my heart by, again, zoning out those distractions, giving God my undivided attention. Look at the third thing. I have to calm my spirit. And this is very, very important. I have to calm my spirit. He says, and be slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And we saw last week that that word angry is orge in the Greek text. And that word literally is referring to resentment and bitterness. And we saw that bitterness or resentment produces an emotional barrier that is going to prevent God's Word from taking root in my heart. So as I come to God's Word, I have to deal with that bitterness. I have to deal with that resentment. I have to quiet my soul again so that I can give God my undivided attention. And that takes us right to the next point. I have to weed my heart. I have to weed my heart. He says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. Before the garden of your heart is ready to receive the seed of God's Word, you must weed it. You must be willing to eliminate from your life anything that's between you and God. Anything that's between you and another person that you need to make right as far as it is possible with you. And all of this is, again, our 
responsibility. And we should be willing to do this out of our love and reverence and respect for God. When we come to God's Word, this is Him speaking. You cannot, you cannot differentiate between God and His Word. And so as I come to His Word, I must be willing, again, to open my ears, to shut my mouth, calm my spirit, to weed the heart of my life, to eliminate anything that would prevent God's Word from taking hold in my life. And that takes me to that last point, that where we ended last week, I have to surrender my will. And I surrender my will in coming to God's Word. Notice he says, in humility, receive the Word implanted, which is able to save your souls. And we said the two key words there are humility and receive. Humility carries the idea of coming to God's Word with a submissive mind or attitude. I'm not coming to God's Word debating whether or not I'm going to obey it. I should have already made that decision. I may not even know what God's Word says at this point, but I come, again, out of reverence to God with a submissive attitude. That is, I learn, as I receive instruction, I'm already committed to obey. I'm already committed to submit. Because the purpose of God's Word is not to give us information, but what? To provide transformation. Again, it's not to be argued, it's to be applied. And then that word receive is dekamai in the Greek text. And that word literally means to receive something with the express purpose to apply it, to put it into practice, to use it. Remember we saw in uh, Acts 17, 11, it says they received the word with eagerness. So again, is that the way you come to worship on Sunday? Is that the attitude in which you come to your devotions or to Bible reading or a Bible study? Do you come with great eagerness, with a submissive attitude, ready to obey whatever God speaks to your heart? So after I've prepared my heart, what's the next step? And look there in your notes. And this, from this point on, this is all new material. I must respond to God's Word. Okay, I have to prepare my heart to receive God's Word, zone out all those distractions, weed my heart, come with that submissive attitude, ready to obey. And then, of course, it's obvious, I must respond to God's Word. And in your notes, you'll discover three ways to respond to God's Word. And the first is, I'm to build my life. I'm to build my life on the rock of God's Word. I'm to build my life on the rock of God's Word. Look at verse 22. Look at verse 22 of uh, James chapter 1. It says, but prove yourselves, what's the next word? Doers. Notice, doers of the Word and not merely hearers who notice, who delude or deceive themselves. James is just simply repeating one of the primary teachings of Jesus. Great cross-reference. Turn over to Matthew chapter 7, the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus emphasizes this very same thing, that we must not only be a hearer of God's Word, we must be a doer of God's Word. And sadly, in our churches, we have many people that know God's Word, but the issue is, are you doing it? Are you practicing it in your life, in your home, in your marriage, at the workplace, seven days a week in every facet and area of, of your life? Because obedience is the what? 
the proof of the pudding. We've emphasized this often from this pulpit, that the only way to validate that you truly know Jesus is Lord is what? Through obedience. It's not that work saves you, but the faith that saves is the faith that's going to obey. True saving faith produces a change. It produces something in someone's life. That's why, remember in 1 John uh, chapter 2, he said, hey, if a person says, I know God, but he does not keep his commandments, he is a, you know what it says? A liar. It's exactly what the apostle John says. If a person says, oh, I know God, I know Jesus, my Lord, and say, but he does not keep, he does not obey his commandments, he says he's a liar. He said, because the one in whom the love of God has been perfected is going to what? Obey God's word. He's going to demonstrate his love and reverence and respect for God through obedience to his word. So look at Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. It's interesting. I had a wedding yesterday, and I admonished the beautiful couple with these very words. I said, you have a choice right now as you enter marriage. You can either be a foolish couple or you can be a wise couple. And notice what it says. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them. There's the key phrase. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house. And yet it did not fall. Why? Because it had been founded upon the rock. Verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them, he'll be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house and it fell and great was its fall. What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying we're not to be hearers only, we're to be doers. And again, this is the proof of the pudding because again, even if you see this passage in its context, What has he been talking about previously? He says there's a narrow gate and there's a wide gate. How do you determine whether a person truly has entered the narrow gate to inherit eternal life over against that wide gate that leads to destruction? He says you'll know them by their what? Fruits. And then he goes on and says, and that's why there's going to be many on judgment day. They're going to come to me and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this and didn't we do that? And he says, I looked at them. And I will say, depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. You who, what? Practice lawlessness. These were people who made a profession. They could talk a good talk. They had a lot of religious knowledge. But it never took possession of their hearts and changed them. And in the context... When you come to the parable of the wise man and the foolish man, the storm, if you want to be accurate in interpretation, the storm refers to what? The final judgment. And he's saying the person that's going to survive the final judgment is a person who has demonstrated the authenticity of his faith through obedience to the Lord. But the point I'm driving home is we're to build our lives on the rock of God's Word. We have to put it into practice. You know, I'll give you just a silly illustration. You know, say some of you come to me and they say, you say, you know, Brother Andy, you're in your early 60s now, and we notice you're getting a little flabby and uh, getting a little out of shape, and we'd like to give you a gift. And this is Arnold Schwarzenegger's bodybuilding book. 
And uh, it has literally transformed tens and thousands of people that have, re- that have read it and put it into practice. And I say thank you. And I take it. And after about six weeks, you come back to me, and I put on about ten more pounds. And I'm flabbier, and I was, and it, it's a brother Andy. Didn't you, I mean, didn't you enjoy the book? I didn't you get it? And say, and say, enjoy it. Goodness gracious, let me show it to you. And I pull the book out. Look, look, look at how often I have it highlighted. I, I even have memorized the major sections. Here, test me. You, I can repeat it. And what are you going to tell me? You're going to say, well, didn't you understand, Brother Andy? It's just not enough to know what's in the book. You got to what? You got to put it into practice. And that's the simple point is, that's how we're to come to God's Word. Prepared to receive it, and then as we prepare ourselves, we're ready to what? To respond, to build our lives on the rock of God's Word. Look at the second point. I'm to change my behavior in the mirror of God's Word. I'm to change my behavior in the mirror of God's Word. Go back to James. Look at chapter 1. Look at verses 23 and 24. It says, for if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. What kind of person he was. The mirror here represents what? The Word of God. And what is the purpose of a mirror? You all know what the purpose of a mirror is. A, a mirror shows you exactly what you look like so that you can make any needed changes. And that's one of the primary purposes of the Bible, to transform our lives, to change it, to change our attitudes, our values, our perspective, our character, our conduct. But the man James refers to, he looks at himself in the mirror, but what? He makes no changes. And notice the words translated looks in verse 23 and looked in, in verse 24, four, referring to this man that looks at himself but then walks away and changes nothing. Now, you would think, you would think that these words probably mean just a casual glance since no changes were made. But the fascinating thing is the words that James used refer to looking at something very, very carefully. Looking at something in a very observant fashion, very thoughtfully. The Amplified New Testament puts verse 24 this way. And this is a very good actual translation of this verse. It says, for he thoughtfully observes himself, then goes off and promptly forgets what he is like. Now, don't miss the point James is making. It is such an important point. It is not that this man failed to look long enough or sincerely enough into the Word of God, but that he turned away from it without acting on it, without making any changes. It is like a person who looks in the mirror and says, "What? oh, goodness gracious, my hair needs comb, but then you just walk off and you don't do anything about it. Now, here's the application. Here's the application. If you do not deal, don't miss this now, If you do not deal with what you see in the mirror of God's Word while looking into it, you will walk away and you're going to forget and you're going to neglect obeying God's Word. And that happens all the time. 
you know, I, again, I appreciate when you leave the service and say, oh, Brother Andy, you really stepped on my toes today. Well, I'm not so much interesting as in stepping on your toes is changing the way you walk. And that's what we're after. You know, I heard of a guy came into the service right at the end, went up to one of the ushers and said, is, is, is the sermon done yet? And the very wise usher said, oh, the, the, the preacher's completed his sermon yet, but it hadn't yet been done. <laughs> because once we leave here will be the test of the pudding. And that is very, very, very true. So I have to build my life on the rock of God's Word. I have to change my behavior in the mirror of God's Word. And then we'll, we'll stop with this point right here. I must fill my heart with the truths of God's Word. Let's look at this, and then we'll complete this in, with one more week. I must fill my heart with the truths of God's Word. Look at verse 25 of James chapter 1. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it. That's a synonym for obeying it, practicing, doing it. Not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. Again, notice the emphasis on this passage of doing, doing, doing. This man shall be blessed in what he does. A great cross-reference is Colossians 3.16. We're to let the Word of Christ, what? Dwell in us richly. And that word dwell means to be at home in your life. In other words, I'm to welcome, I'm to receive God's Word. It's to be at home, it's to take root, it's to sprout, it's to produce what God intended. That holiness, that love, that quality of life, that abundant eternal life, it's to produce spiritual growth. And the reason I put Ephesians 5.18 down, let me just very quickly make this observation that I think is very important to make. Ephesians 5.18 says what? Be what? Many of you know it. Be what? Filled with the Spirit. It's the command to be filled with the Spirit. In Colossians 3.16, the command is let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. If you look at those two passages, I wish we had time, but we don't. You'll see that the evidence of being filled with the Spirit and the evidence of letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly are identical. He mentions four things. It's almost identical passages, except in one place he says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you, richly in you, and the other he says, be filled with the Spirit, and then the same identical things will happen. You'll give thanks, uh, you'll, you'll be overflow with uh, joy, you'll be teaching one another, uh, you'll be a servant. He mentions all those things. The fascinating thing in the Greek text, when it says, be filled with the Spirit, the verb tense is in the passive voice. I don't want to get too technical with you, but all that means is I don't feel myself. It's God who fills me. It's God who empowers me. But when you go to Colossians 3.16, it's in the active voice, which simply means that's my responsibility. In other words, my responsibility is to get in the Word of God to prepare my heart for the Word of God, to respond to the Word of God, to build my life on the rock of God's Word, to see my life change as I look into the mirror of God's Word. And as I become a doer of God's Word, God says, as I step out in obedience, I'm going to fill you. I'm going to empower you. And I'll bring that internal change that only I can bring to your life. Now, how do you fill your heart with God's Word? And you do that through meditation. 
And this will be one of the most important things that I ever teach you on, on, on a practical level. And let me just walk you through this very, very quickly. It won't take uh, but a couple of minutes. There are three fundamental steps in meditation in Scripture. And when I say meditation, I'm just, again just talking about filling your heart with the Word of God. And the first step is to memorize Scripture. To memorize Scripture. Look at Psalm 1-2 there. It says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The word meditates there in the Hebrew text, as you see, meditates is Haggah in the Hebrew, which means a repetitive murmuring of God's word. That's what that literally means. So when the psalmist says, but I delight in the law of God, and on his law I meditate day and night, what he's saying is, in my mind, I speak to myself. And there's this repetitive murmuring over and over of God's Word. Sometimes he would even verbalize this as he would have opportunities. But the point is, he focuses on God's Word, and throughout the day, there's this repetitive murmuring, whether it's in his mind or a verbal articulation of God's Word. Now, a lot of people think that's meditation beginning and end, just memorizing God's Word. No, that's just the first step. Look at the second step. Then I have to personalize Scripture. I have to personalize Scripture. This is looking in that mirror and seeing what needs to be changed so that I can properly respond. Notice Psalm 119, verses 47 and 48. He says, For I delight in your commands because I love them. I lift up my hands to your commands, which I love, and I meditate on your degrees. Notice, meditate is a totally different word here in the Hebrew text. It's the word shakah in the Hebrew, which means to quietly reflect on God's Word in my mind to harmonize my life with God's Word. That's what that word literally means. So, hagah means to memorize God's Word, this repetitive murmuring of God's Word. But now, this word medication has to do with, now I'm going to reflect on what I've memorized. I'm going to reflect on what I'm focusing on. And, and in my mind, I'm going to see how I need to bring my life in harmony with this truth, to harmonize my life with, God, with God's Word. Uh, for example, when I was praying uh, over the mothers uh, earlier today, and uh, was uh, thanking God for how they've been such a, a beautiful picture of Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Okay, say you've entrusted that to memory. And now you need to personalize that. Okay, it says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each of you regard one another more important than himself. Do not merely look out to your own personal interest, but the interest of others. Okay, I have that memorized. Now I begin to reflect on that. Okay, Andy Merritt is not to do anything from a selfish motive. Andy Merritt's not to do anything to promote himself and get himself on, but instead, with humility of mind, with lowly, I'm to regard others more important than myself. I'm not to center my life around what's best for me, my interest, my goal, but what's best for others. So I take that and I say, I begin to ask questions. How does that relate to my marriage? How do I put that into practice relating to Kathy? How does this relate to being a parent of my children and my grandparents, grandchildren? 
How does this relate as I interact with my coworkers, with the church family, with wherever you work? How does this relate to relating to those in your neighborhood? If I really put into this practice, what would be seen in my life? What changes do I... You follow what I'm trying to say? That's a very important aspect of meditation. Not just memorizing, but then reflecting on that Scripture and how it's to be applied. But you still haven't completed the process of meditation until you've gone to the third step, and that's to actualize Scripture. This is the doing. This is the practicing. Okay, I've memorized it. I've personalized it. I've looked in that mirror. I see the changes that need to be made. If I'm going to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, I can't maintain the status quo. This is going to make a difference in the way I relate to my wife, my children, my neighbors, my, work, my fellow workers, whoever it might be. And so I commit myself, I surrender myself to begin to apply, to begin to practice, to make changes in my life. Notice, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord my God and my Redeemer. That word meditation is higion, a totally different word in the Hebrew, which very interesting, literally means a musical notation. That's what it literally means, a musical notation. And what it actually is referring to is worshiping God. And the point it's making is, how do you worship God? You worship God when you begin to put His Word into practice, when you live it. That's how you honor God. That's how you reverence God. That's how you respect God. How do you respect and reverence and honor your mom or your dad? By doing what they ask you to do. By cooperating. And that's all that's being said here. So, all of that involves filling your heart with God's truth. All of that involves meditation. That repetitive murmuring of God's Word as I go through the day and then quietly reflecting in my mind how to bring this truth in harmony with my life. What changes do I need to make as I look into the mirror of God's Word? And then this last step, well, I do it. I put it into practice. I make those changes and What's the promise that God gave? Look at the very last phrase of verse 25. This man shall be what? Blessed in what he does. He'll be blessed in what he does. And you all know the wonderful promises that are given throughout the Scripture about meditation, how God will bring peace, He'll bring success, He'll bring joy, so, so many other things. And look at that last key, and we'll stop right there. And then we'll do that third point next week. I think we'll have time right at the end of the children's musical. Look at the key. I become like the person I admire most. The reason I put that there, we've been talking a lot today about looking in the mirror of God's Word. And as I look in the mirror of God's Word, I see myself as I am. And I see the changes I need to be made. But what we also need to see, that passage, 2 Corinthians 3.18, There again, it talks about the Word of God being a mirror. But there in that passage, it says when we go to the mirror of God's Word and we look into it, what do we see? Jesus. In other words, when I come to God's Word, this is the revelation of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so in God's Word, I see Jesus reflected. And as I see Jesus reflected, I'm able to compare my life with His And that's where I say, oh, I'm woefully short. I do need change. I do need transformation. 
I'm totally dependent upon God's grace and power at work in my life, but He wants me to cooperate in the process and to make those appropriate choices, to step out in obedience, trusting Him that as I do, that He will empower me. And so the simple point that I'm trying to make is I don't want this to become a legalistic thing. I don't want this to be so much out of duty, more out of delight. Everything I've been talking about comes back to the fact that we're to love Jesus. That he's to be my first love, my greatest passion, and my pursuit. And so I want to honor him by obeying his word because I love him. Because he's the most important person in my life. I admire him. And more than anyone else, that's who I want to be like in life. I want to be just like Jesus. Father, thank you for the admonition in your word today. Uh, Thank you for the encouragement as we've seen over and over and over again today, not just to hear God's Word, but to do it, to put it into practice, uh, to come to God's Word with the right attitude, a submissive attitude, uh, to come to God's Word with the uh, commitment that I'm going to build my life on the rock of this Word. I'm going to acknowledge that you are the master architect of my life, of life itself, and This word is your blueprint, and I'm committed to follow this blueprint. And Lord, give us the grace to look into the mirror of your word and to see the changes that need to be made. And Lord, we acknowledge that's not always easy. We acknowledge that uh, often your word makes us feel miserable because we see how far short we fall. But Lord, thank you that that's not where you want to keep us. You want to bring change so that we can know the fullness of joy so that we can know Jesus in all His majesty and all His beauty and all His love and all His power. So, Lord, I just pray that uh, for us here at the Edgewood family, that we would truly become people of the Word, uh, that not only know it, but that we will become truly living epistles of Your truth, that what is said of us in the Scripture as believers would be true of us in real life as we relate to one another, as we relate to you. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.